Welcome to the FinTV podcast series, where we tap into the collective expertise of the world's leading supply chain, manufacturing, and digital innovators. My name is Maria Villablanca, the co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, and I'll be your host. Join us every week to hear the opinions, lessons, and general guidelines from the industry's leading minds. FinTV, insights for today's digital leaders. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of FinTV. Today, I'm joined by Andreas Wieland, who is the Associate Professor of Supply Chain Management at Copenhagen Business School. Uh, Andreas is going to be talking to us about uh, supply chain risk, about the function of supply chain leader today, uh, as well as potentially new business models and opportunities for supply chain leaders. Andreas, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? And uh, by the way, welcome to, uh, to FinTV. Yeah, thanks a lot, Maria, also for inviting me again uh, to this channel. Um, yeah, uh, my research here at CBS uh, at Copenhagen Business School is about supply chain risk and resilience. So um, I could say uh, normally it's a topic that is uh, that should always be relevant in many companies um, that also many students like uh, because it's, it really shows um, that we are dealing not with companies, but with supply chain. So if something goes wrong, uh, then the second tier or even the third tier in the supply chain, but also on the customer side, um, if something is going on, if a disruption occurs, that affects uh, the entire supply chain system. But um, yeah, uh, these days it's particularly interesting uh, to be in this area. So um, it is even a moment in time, I would say one of the few moments also, uh, if you think back some years ago, uh, maybe the earthquake in Japan or other risk occurrences um, uh, that um, that it's that suddenly also the general public talks about supply chain risk, uh, which is uh, exciting. Um, and this is um, an exciting time for me also to investigate new cases. And um, yeah, why is it an interesting time? The reason is uh, certainly one of the topics that we are talking about, the coronavirus. Yeah. I mean, again, by the time that we go live with this this podcast, uh, you know, who knows where we're going to be in this coronavirus uh, pandemic that we're in right now. But one of the things that is very certain is that it has exposed certain weaknesses or cracks within supply chain processes. So the question I have with you is that let, let's start with uh, lessons, lessons learned. Obviously, we probably could not have forecast for uh, the kind of pandemic that we're dealing with right now, but surely we could have planned, forecast, or uh, I don't know, predicted to some degree some sort of crisis. What's, what's your take on that? I think one key thing first to understand in general is um, the way we design supply chains. So uh, in normal times where, when there is no turbulences, like, like the current time, um, then we have built very perfect, very um, complex, but also well-functioning systems that work almost like clockwork, um, supply chains uh, that start from raw materials, go to final consumption, uh, and uh, they're super reliable. Although it's systems maybe with, um, like think about the car industry, where you have uh, a five-digit number of parts. Um, we are talking about uh, lean systems. Uh, we talk about efficiency as the main goal. Of course, just-in-time production, but also close collaboration between partners. 
Um, and suddenly, because uh, of a virus that is so small that nobody on this planet can see it, um, suddenly all this perfection uh, collapses. Um, and I think this is a key learning that we all should uh, have. So there's kind of a hubris uh, um, that we as human beings believe we can manage everything. And uh, in fact, we can manage a lot of things, but we should also um, look beyond the system itself. Um, there's disturbances that we can't impact. Um, even the strongest uh, leader or politician uh, can't tell the virus to stop. And um, the second learning maybe is global supply chain span uh, borders, but the virus does so as well. So uh, there's a similarity between how viruses spread um, and also how supply chains look like. They cross boundaries, uh, they cross borders. Um, they don't uh, care about uh, nations or economies. Um, we're talking about economies or companies a lot, but I think we should, uh, and uh, I'm not saying this because of uh, my job title, but uh, we should talk much more about supply chains because that's since 40 years or so, uh, since um, Jimmy Carter um, maybe decided to uh, make China the um, extended workbench of the world, um, not only him, obviously, but um, since then, we have a development uh, that um, global supply chains as uh, the, the dominant way of organizing business have become perfect systems, but also, as we can see now, systems that can easily collapse and uh, that are very vulnerable if we don't um, take care. Do you think that this uh, virus is going to put into question the type of global supply chain uh, model that we have been using for a long time? This is a bit um, difficult to say. There's different arguments. I mean, there's this, uh, or there has been this um, dispute between the US and China uh, in the last couple of months. And um, it is not unlikely, I think, that, uh, that this event will also be used as an argument now in this debate. Um, for uh, bad reasons, partly, uh, partly, so it will be abused, but I think partly also for good reasons, because um, if we think about, for instance, about our medical uh, systems, our medical uh, supply chains, antibiotics, for example, are mainly produced in China or India now, in Asia at least. Um, the iPhone is produced in China. Key technologies uh, in the electronics industry are produced in China, so we have, um, created um, a single point somewhere in the world um, that if it's affected like now, um, suddenly can disturb the entire system. So I'm not saying, and I think this is also unlikely that uh, suddenly uh, China will be excluded from supply chains. Um, uh, there's good reasons why China is uh, such a key hub in global supply chains because they are just good in many things, uh, in many respects electronic industries uh, also um, think about um, uh, pharmacy. Uh, so there's uh, very good reasons, but maybe we should diversify a bit more as we did it in the past. Uh, the focus on one country came as a result of uh, a focus on efficiency and making uh, the system even more perfect. But as I said before, this perfection that we are trying to do as human beings, uh, it's not, um, 
something that we can really achieve. We are just human beings, right? So um, we are not, um, we are not uh, in, in one of the, in the video that we uh, once had, I talked about um, this assumption that the supply chain manager, or in my case, also my students, maybe they look in the textbook, uh, in the supply chain textbook, like a, like a bird is looking from outside on the system and then seeing it like a metro map on the wall. Uh, so you can see the entire system from outside and try to control it. But I think that's this, the wrong metaphor. I think a better metaphor would be you're somehow in the system. Uh, you can see a bit, uh, you can see the neighbors, uh, they are blurry already. Um, so um, I think that's a more realistic and uh, also maybe self-critical perspective on that system. So we are not in total control of the supply chain. I guess what you're, what you're saying is um, we are there, you know, we have that hubris element at the moment that we think that we can control every element uh, of global supply chains and what have you, but the reality is far more complicated uh, and the reality is far more hard or I guess harder to predict than anything else. What advice do you give your students today with, I mean, it's still early days in this COVID-19 crisis, but what advice are you giving your students today, the future leaders of supply chain? Yeah, I think this is um, critical also to understand. If you think about the role of business schools, I think also traditionally it has been uh, misunderstood. Um, business schools are often seen as a place where we train future managers only. But um, I think it's more, it is, it is essentially a university. And if you think about the Humboldt uh, ideals of how university should look like, it is not just about professional training, helping people to get into a job. It's also this, obviously, but it's also a place of uh, um, yeah, education, uh, uh, helping the society uh, to function, uh, educating people uh, to see the bigger picture, not just business. And uh, I think in future supply chain programs or management programs, business programs in general, I think we should uh, integrate more layers. So not just focusing on a company, that's maybe what we learned in SCM, so where we are already good. We're not just focusing on a company, we are focusing on a bigger thing, this supply chain beast, whatever it really is. So this boundless uh, strange network um, that is uh, difficult to grasp, but uh, at least we're trying this. But uh, I think just another layer that we're not discussing um, enough still in uh, global SCM programs that I see, and so we're trying this increasingly, is uh, to yeah, also look at the political level, uh, what could be stakeholders there, to look at the uh, environmental level, so uh, the planetary system instead of just the supply chain system. So to look at different layers and also how they link to each other, how they influence each other, uh, I think uh, future supply chain managers will not just be managers, they will be more, they will be governors, they will be politicians uh, to a small degree, they, uh, yeah, will, they will be navigators through the um, supply chain, but also beyond. So uh, we can't just be so fragmentary in education and our knowledge also and assume someone else will know the rest. Um, uh, I think in a very complex world, uh, and global supply chains have created a very complex business world. We also know, need to know about much more of these complexities, which needs to be reflected also in education. It's, it's an interesting point that you bring up. I've had a couple of podcasts recently where I've been speaking about um, 
the perception of supply chain, you know, how it's evolved over time, how supply chain used to be seen, or maybe still to this day, as a back office function, a cost center, uh, when in reality, supply chains today are really at the heart of business, business transformation, uh, innovation. Um, and you bring up a really interesting point. I really liked what you said up there about how the supply chain leaders of tomorrow may not be leading a supply chain, they may be politicians. So how do you think understanding how a supply chain function could apply to the world today? Yeah, so um, of course you, can fo you have to focus on uh, what has always been done in the, in the supply chain function. So uh, that will not change. I think there will just be additional uh, skills that you need. So you manage through your system, so through your function, but also you manage somehow up so towards maybe the political level. So there's other uh, stakeholders involved. Um, you manage down also maybe think about the supply chain. And, the, uh, and this is not about Corona. This is about uh, think about social issues in the textile industry, for example. So we looked at these black boxes, which represent companies, but we didn't look into them uh, to see, oh, there's actually people, there's communities maybe in Bangladesh or uh, in uh, uh, in Eastern Africa working in these supply chains. So that would be would mean to manage down to them. So uh, to reach them also to collaborate with them. So do you think that the supply chain function has evolved uh, and will continue to evolve? And if so, what will it look like? What did it look like 20 years ago? What will it look like in the future? Yeah, the, the key question could be even uh, if the term function is actually the right term. Because um, one thing that I discuss a lot with my students also is, um, isn't SCM actually about crossing functional silos? I mean, this is uh, traditionally what we discuss, what even textbooks say, within a company, beyond companies. So I think then um, supply chain management might not just be a business function like sales or marketing. It might be more like the spider and the web that binds all these players together within a company and beyond the company. And I think this also answers a bit um, the, or, or this relates back to your, what you mentioned also, why are supply chain managers increasingly so important in many companies? Why is uh, uh, the Apple CEO or the former Lego CEO here in Denmark, uh, why do they all have a supply chain or operations management or procurement background uh, and not a finance background or marketing backgrounds uh, anymore. Um, and I think this is also um, because supply chain managers uh, today, people that we educate here, uh, also elsewhere, are people who really know a lot of details from very different functional areas, and they're able to connect the uh, dots. So maybe they, they, they don't have a very deep knowledge about only one area, but they have a rather deep knowledge about many areas. Uh, and they have this broad, broad overview. And that actually then relates them very much also to the C-level of a company. So uh, I think therefore um, future supply chain managers or the uh, future function uh, of supply chain managers um, can really benefit uh, from this broadness and also people working in these roles can benefit in their careers. That makes a lot of sense. And, and that means that it's evolved quite a lot, hasn't it? I mean. The, the, the supply chain executive of 20 years ago probably looks very different to the supply chain executives 
coming out of uh, universities or just getting into the industry? Would you, what do you think? Obviously, I mean, uh, if you um, think about the uh, educational level, uh, the educational background, uh, there are studies about this showing this uh, quite clearly, um, how um, you were educated to become a supply chain manager maybe 30 years ago compared to today. Today, uh, most people uh, have a master's degree maybe uh, or are well-educated in the area. Uh, in the end, uh, the skill sets that you needed was uh, just a very different one. Um, these people were also super skilled, but it was just different uh, functions and maybe less academic uh, than it uh, should be today because of these complexities to really connect the uh, very different uh, dots. And in the past, I mean, uh, a lot of um, supply chain questions were about operational transportation tasks or uh, logistics related or purchasing related. And uh, I think that that is not really uh, the key in many companies anymore. It's really about connecting all this and um, uh, knowing how that relates to each other. Well, as you say, there's been a lot of change over the, you know, over this period of time, globalization, uh, innovation and technology, uh, collaboration, the types of the working, the people, the way that they work is very different, isn't it? Let's, let's take a step back a little bit to this risk and resilience question. Yes. Um, you know, again, I don't want to spend all of my time talking about coronavirus, but it is the dominant factor right now in today's news. And I believe that we'll be speaking about coronavirus, lessons learned, things that went well, things that didn't go well for many years to come. Um, I want to take you back to the Fukuyama you know, crisis that happened in Japan. And uh, that was what, uh, how many years ago was that? Those were lessons learned there about the reliance on uh, the Asian marketplace and the uh, reliance on not just your first tier of supply chain, but you, you know, and, and suppliers, but your second tier and your third tier. What lessons are we gonna learn, do you think, today from, uh, from this crisis? Yeah, I think, um... Particularly, it's important that uh, companies learn so that they uh, don't just, um, even if they're doing well, and uh, I'm, um, I, I know that many companies are firefighting right now, they are um, finding good solutions, quick solutions, uh, workarounds. Uh, so there's a lot of things that uh, will certainly pay out that they do. But the question is really, how can that be a, um, the how, how can that become a part of the company's identities and the supply chain's identities? So how can we build up a risk culture? And I've seen this uh, in some companies that they are doing this uh, pretty well uh, in establishing a risk culture, also codifying a risk culture, so standardizing uh, processes. Because just think about um, the notion someone is maybe um, super important right now in a company, managing the risk right now, has a lot of knowledge, and then is retired in uh, three years or leaves the company for whatever reasons. And suddenly this, uh, all this knowledge is lost. So I think there need to be procedures in the future and uh, companies, this is my uh, advice also to companies to really not only try to solve the current issues, but also really learn from this and um, provide a risk culture, enable um, managers in their company, uh, workers in their companies, to uh, really be part of this journey, uh, to even say uh, risk management is a, or supply chain risk management even, is part of the company brand. And I've seen this in, uh, in some companies. Do you think a lot of tech companies take supply chain risk as seriously as they should? 
I mean, uh, I, I can't say yes uh, or no here. Uh, I think there is a lot of um, good examples uh, of companies, but also there, I, I conducted uh, uh, an interview in one company and uh, they, they are very much leading um, in terms of the risk management procedures. I can, if you like, uh, we can also talk about this in a minute, but uh, what I can see even there and what they even see, there will be, times there will be an error in between uh, two risk events uh, that might take five six seven eight years i mean the earthquake in japan um, that was several years ago now we have corona uh, but in between uh, if you were not affected by an event then you might sometimes go back to normal uh, not entirely back to normal so i think uh, especially around 2011 2012 when there have been uh, a lot of risk events unfortunately but um, that also trained these companies and they also, many of them established um, good practices. But uh, yeah, I can also observe a bit since then um, that uh, some of these procedures were not taken as seriously anymore. Uh, so um, it would be cynic to say there should be a risk event uh, from time to time, but to train things, of course, uh, it needs to be done in any company. And Probably a lot of companies have a short memory. What I mean by that is that whilst we're in the middle of a crisis, you know, everyone is all hands on deck to try to fight these fires, prepare for them, but then the memory sort of goes shorter and shorter. We get back to business as usual, uh, and then risk gets put in the, you know, in, in sort of a back burner. Would you agree? Yes. They, I mean, there's a lot of things... Uh, that we all know uh, already now know will happen uh, soon because um, we, we never had something like Corona, but we had earthquakes, we had uh, floodings, we had other types, we had the financial crisis uh, some years ago. So there's at least some similarities uh, where you can almost predict what might soon happen. So we still know since then uh, how long a ship takes from China to Europe, that's four to six weeks. So that means um, they have uh, stopped producing and now it takes six weeks. Um, the ships are still arriving in Europe, but soon uh, suddenly uh, there might be a bigger hiccup. And uh, that can sometimes be because of the second tier suppliers that again might be forgotten, like in so many uh, other events in the past. So uh, companies are focusing on their first tier suppliers, not the second tier suppliers. So there's a lot of things that we already know will happen again, unfortunately, because as you said, people are now focusing on firefighting. Um, and of course, there's a lot of knowledge that will also um, stay in these companies. But uh, yeah, we're human beings. We, uh, we're not really long-term oriented, are we? No, instant gratification, right? So, so, okay, so there's lessons learned. You talked a little bit about, you've seen some companies with good practices. Could you, without necessarily going into you know, company secrets or trade information. What are good practices for supply chain risk in general and today? A lot of things that have have to be or should already have been done now after um, the Corona event happened um, are, of course, hands on firefighting uh, practices. So suddenly things are not smooth. Smooth. Suddenly things are happening are happening suddenly. So you need to react. But uh, even this can be prepared. So it looks like many people are just uh, making phone calls now with their suppliers, sending out emails, but you can prepare all this. So you can um, um, ensure that, there's a, that you have established a crisis management task force uh, with a 
with a number of names on it. So whenever something happens, that they are, that you have their phone numbers, that you uh, know how to reach them even at midnight, um, even in other time zones. Um, even this is not so relevant now for Corona, but even think about a power outage. And I've uh, uh, also observed this in one company where the headquarters was uh, suddenly out of power. So um, do you have satellite telephones for such situations? Uh, do you have uh, phones that are charged so that you can make phone calls? Uh, so even these very small things, do you have um, prepared lists uh, of um, your suppliers? Um, most companies would say they have, but uh, do you have it also on the plant level, not just the address of the headquarters? Um, really good practices that I have seen, um, and uh, I think this can really rescue uh, yourself in the situation is also um, to have like a, a Google Maps type of uh, system where you uh, add Wuhan or now Northern Italy, uh, certain areas, and then uh, immediately with uh, just pushing one button, uh, you will then see, um, are any of your suppliers affected? Is it key parts? Do you have the address uh, immediately available? Can you send them an email avail uh, immediately um, asking them to react? Um, and then these people, uh, if they don't react, what can you do then? Can you fly there? That's maybe difficult right now, but do you have local people uh, just walking uh, or taking a taxi, uh, looking, is everything fine with the plant? Maybe when there was the earthquake uh, situation, uh, maybe there was a fire and the building uh, just didn't exist anymore, but maybe it was just because the people didn't answer the email. So there's a lot of um, procedures that you can uh, do immediately, but that you uh, have to prepare. So that needs to be an action plan. And uh, you should be, and I think this is also learning that, uh, that you can see in many companies, you should be the first one to react. You shouldn't uh, learn by doing in such a situation because other companies have already prepared this. So uh, if you are uh, not the, if you don't get the capacity that you need because your main competitor gets it, um, then uh, you have a big problem. How do you feel, you, you mentioned reacting, um, you know, how, how do you feel that the global supply chain function or I guess industries are uh, doing with regards to the reactions to coronavirus in general? Yeah, I'm, I'm not fully sure. Uh, this is, of course, an individual question, but I'm not fully sure if uh, the entire crisis, uh, and it is maybe a crisis, um, is already fully understood by, uh, by decision makers, because um, this is not just an influenza or uh, this is not just a small issue. It really affects global markets, supply markets, and demand markets. Think about Italy, think about China. These are two um, strong, economically strong um, countries in terms of production. Also Italy, we talked about China, or I talked about China maybe too much um, already uh, because uh, Italy is much closer to where I am now. Uh, many key suppliers there uh, are located there. Engineering power in Northern Italy is uh, very strong. Um, so um, supply chain managers um, need to know this is an, a crisis that might long, much longer than we ex uh, or might 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 uh, might prevail much longer than we uh, can predict right now. Um, that is at least, and I'm not a virologist uh, or expert in that area, but I'm very carefully also 
uh, trying to follow what these experts are saying uh, in press conferences, uh, in uh, news bulletins. Um, and I think this is also something that managers should do now. Uh, they should uh, listen to the experts. Um, I can see that um, in politics, in newspapers, there's partly um, also some misinformation that is um, spreading uh, by interpreting maybe um, scientific um, knowledge a bit, yeah, oversimplifying it maybe a bit too much. So uh, I think by uh, directly listening to these experts, I think we are much better, uh, or we have a much better knowledge and can also, also as a manager then suddenly, that's also why I, uh, when I talked about how we should educate students on different layers. So uh, in this case, it is a business issue, but we should also understand uh, how dangerous is this virus and uh, with, or, uh, scientists are still learning about it. Uh, uh, it will certainly be not be as dangerous as uh, in the very beginning where uh, people said up to 5% uh, or even more of people would die, but maybe it is. And that's uh, the latest figure that I heard uh, yesterday, um, half a percent, half a percent, that's one out of 200 people who might be affected. So that knee might die, yeah? So in a, uh, and uh, I heard for Germany, uh, they assume that 60 to 70 people uh, of the population will get this uh, virus. So now you can make the calculation. Um, that is a large number of people uh, that will most likely in the next couple of months die. So it needs to be slowed down. That's what the experts say. And uh, um, it needs to be slowed down because otherwise the capacity of hospitals uh, is uh, affected as initially happened in China. I think uh, then now you can see in China also how you uh, can handle it very uh, well, but there was learning. So even uh, even experts in the hospital uh, died as you know from the news. So uh, I think currently uh, supply chain managers really need to understand uh, how dramatic the situation uh, is or might be, might become. And also that it's not a short term issue it is uh, an issue that might well lead in countries also, not only Italy and China, but soon also in Germany, soon also in the US, uh, soon also in many other countries might lead to uh, uh, much more drastic um, situations than we, uh, than we know from other events. So cities being blocked and so on. Well, I think, I think you're absolutely right. It's not just about looking internally at their immediate vicinity you know you've got to look at your second tier suppliers your third tier suppliers you've got to look at the infrastructure if like you're like they're predicting and again you know we don't want to scaremonger we don't want to uh you know plan for the worst but i guess you're you wouldn't be a good supply chain planner if you don't plan for the worst uh and i think if we were talking about 60 70 percent of the population being sick uh obviously not everybody's going to die but that means your your workforce it means infrastructure, it means, uh, you know, a number of different things. So I think the supply chain leader of today has got to look outside of their just immediate vicinity uh, and look to, um, to the, all the other implications that could affect uh, something that's going to last a long time, isn't it? We could be talking about this for uh, another year, uh, still our new reality, if that makes sense. Exactly. So this is uh, what I understand uh, is uh, what the experts say uh, in, in the medical area. And uh, 
of course, these 60, 70 percent, and that's, a, that's data I know about, uh, that, that I heard about Germany. I, I don't know if the same number would apply in all countries, so the age structure, uh, structure differs also uh, among countries. But let's assume it's high. And um, if we can uh, even this out a bit, uh, that also means we need to slow it down. But if we slow it down, it also means it will last much longer. So if everyone is affected at the same time, that would be a healthcare uh, catastrophe. So it needs to be slowed down, but that also mean, um, means we uh, will talk about this topic uh, for, a time. Yeah. for a long time. So let's, let's, let's talk about now the opportunities that a crisis like this could, um, could give us. What I mean by that, and not, not to trivialize the situation, but could this make supply chain professionals and business leaders today look at alternative ways of working in a global supply chain, uh, new business models, uh, new opportunities? Is, is that a possibility? Is that something that we should be looking at now as well? Sure. Sorry, or do we even have much choice? Yes, um, that's a that's a good point. Uh, good um, good question also. So first of all, we can of course think about the current system and uh, think about how, how we can further improve it. So uh, that is always possible. So we can learn about um, mistakes that we've made uh, make uh, made now. So managers can document uh, their practices, also their problems that they had during this crisis. That will not help them right now, uh, but that might help them in five years. Uh, when there is maybe a similar issue or a financial crisis or an earthquake. Um, so um, a second, a bit related uh, issue is also, you can now uh, use the situation to test your already maybe well-developed uh, systems. So the IT system, your uh, data analytics uh, systems, um, um, yeah, uh, IT integration. So does it really work that you have the right information at the right place? to have it integrated somehow, everything in your ERP system. Um, so that is one way. The second opportunity that I see is um, this prepares us also for a much larger crisis. I uh, like the climate uh, situation, like the climate crisis uh, that we're in. Um, it is a bit um, ironic almost that uh, now because of a tiny virus, I mean, I also don't want to marginalize it. Again, uh, many people uh, will be sick. Uh, many people already died. Uh, uh, so uh, by no means I would like to marginalize it. But if you also look at uh, the climate crisis, how many people die every year? How many uh, people will be affected in the future? Um, if you think about, we're not flying right now. We are uh, canceling meetings uh, because of Corona. Um, but you could also argue, and this is uh, what the climate uh, debate also, what experts also say, um, uh, one flight to New York from Frankfurt uh, back and forth creates several tons of emissions. Uh, let's say it's five tons. Um, one ton creates 100 euro uh, costs somewhere in the world, climate costs uh, that are not internalized in the flight ticket. So. Why are we not also talking about this right now? But the opportunity I see is now we can see even harsh measures like in Italy and in China right now and soon also in many other countries. I'm pretty sure about this. Um, if you explain them well, if politicians um, act responsibly, if they listen to experts, if they don't uh, listen just to their gut feelings, um, I think um, then people also believe 
that uh, this is handled well. And you could see this in China in the beginning. Not all information was, um, was um, shared with the public. But then they uh, quickly learned they have to be very open. And also companies need to be very open and also uh, proactive talking to their customers and their suppliers so that they can also plan uh, that helps them as well in the future to build trust. But we can see, we can learn, I think for, uh, for instance, the climate crisis, um, human beings, if you explain things well, if you don't just uh, marginalize uh, this big crisis uh, that, that we're also currently in, uh, that is maybe less visible uh, than, um, than, than the virus because uh, uh, we can't really relate it often, the, the problems that occur to uh, to this, it, it may be less, it may be less visible, but it not necessarily less urgent. You know, yeah, it's it's uh, it's, uh, it's definitely it's uh, most likely uh, far more urgent, uh, but it's maybe less linkable to supply chain activities. So um, this person is affected by a drought because I uh, took a plane flight. So I think this link is just uh, just not there. It's just it's more a statistical link. We know this if we look at the data but uh, we can't link my misbehavior to someone else's uh, uh, problems. So, but the, if you explain things well, if you educate people well, and again, also here, there could be a part and in our program, it is already a part of the education, uh, talking about uh, climate crisis, linking it also to business activity. And that brings us maybe to my uh, third point. And uh, that could be also to entirely rethink the way we structure business. Does it need to be linear uh, efficiency driven systems? Circular economies, circular supply chains uh, are currently discussed quite a lot, at least here in uh, Denmark. Um, and uh, the EU also um, is focusing on this a bit. Uh, we will think about also this, um, just, just this week, uh, the EU has uh, launched um, a new agenda in terms of uh, CO2, so we will see taxes in the future. So this is all unavoidable that will come. And I can only also here uh, advise the listeners, uh, the managers, uh, be prepared, be, have this first mover advantage. This will all come. And uh, shifting from a linear to a circular supply chain uh, should not just be driven by a loss that will uh, come in the future. But uh, if you are, think about Tesla, they were very good in the beginning to, um, to start talking about electric cars. I'm not saying that this is the solution. There's also a lot of downsides, but uh, yeah, many German uh, car manufacturers were uh, still sleeping back then, uh, not all of them. Uh, fortunately, they woke uh, up, but very late. So they missed this opportunity to have this first mover advantage. Um, and um, by focusing on uh, 1970s uh, business models, um, carbon, oil, and so on. Uh, I think uh, companies will miss this opportunity because the um, world is uh, moving forward and uh, circular solutions could mean, for example, that you uh, don't sell a product, that you sell a service, app-based, like a bit car rental services. Uh, there you can see, or e-scooters even, that's not maybe the most environmental friendly uh, um, issue, but um, you could uh, create models that, uh, where, where people rent or lease a product instead of buying it. And that shifts the re responsibility for the resources from the customer to who becomes a user then to the producer who then uh, becomes the owner uh, of the resources. And 
makes them change their uh, product design, their marketing strategy, focus on durability instead of uh, constant consumption and stuff like this. So there's opportunities also to right now uh, when they're, um, when, when we see a lot of changes in global supply chains, also to question all this a bit uh, because it creates created so much so many vulnerabilities uh, how we build the supply chain. You know, I think um, prior to this crisis, there was a great deal of talk led either by I don't know the 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 the, the zeitgeist led by consumer demand, whatever it is uh, for a circular economy, more sustainability longer lasting products, the change of business models, you know, the gig economy. Uh, there's a great deal of change happening, not just there in terms of business models, the way that we work, uh, the future of work, the fact that we more people are working from home, more factories are relying a lot more on uh, automation, digital twins, uh, the democratization of technology, all of those things we were inching towards probably a different way of working. Is it possible that a crisis like this one could, uh, I don't know, open us up or welcome us to a new era of um, business? I mean, already in the without very- being dramatic, Without being too dramatic, you know what I mean? I, I, no, okay, then be very undramatic. Uh, people are now learning that home office is possible, that you don't need to have meetings, uh, you don't need to fly maybe to your supplier, uh, Partly you will also miss it. You will also realize it was necessary to talk to them in person. So I'm not saying this, but people will now maybe also learn, wow, now because of this crisis, there was home office uh, in our company and we still operate. Um, people uh, realize at home that it works for some of them, maybe not for everyone. But so that's maybe a very undramatic uh, learning um, that you can have from this um, uh, where you can see uh, yeah, uh, we question existing practices and we learn that it's not that bad to change them. Well, the, the same goes with, you know, uh, what was it that we were talking about this before we started recording about how the EU is now looking at uh, regulating or having an agenda for manufacturers to manufacture products that last longer for packaging that is uh, more sustainable. So we are moving towards this anyway, it sounds like. This crisis will expose perhaps the weaknesses of existing supply chains, <clears throat> the reliance on different markets, you know, all of those things. It is very possible that we could be changing things uh, quite dramatically over the course of the next year because of this crisis. Yeah, in every crisis, uh, there is uh, a lot of learning uh, and there it is an opportunity. Uh, even in the more dramatic crises uh, that we can see, like climate, climate crisis, uh, we can become depressive if we talk about it, but we can also see it as a great business opportunity. And that's what I tell my students, to be part of this great journey that makes the world better. Um, and uh, yeah, even in the corona situation, we can talk about this and uh, see some new opportunities, learnings, uh, chances to improve um, traditional practices. And I think uh, if this is the outcome of the crisis, um, then uh, all the damage that it creates, also all the loss, uh, even loss of life, uh, will not, um, uh, we, we can't reverse this, but then at least there's some meaning in it.
Absolutely. And I think going back to what you said about the supply chain leader of today and tomorrow is someone who is more uh, well-rounded with a number of different experiences and expertise. Uh, this perhaps is the time for that supply chain leader to step up and really shine and really show the world the impact that supply chain has. Yes. And that also means that need, people need to get opportunity uh, to get into the role, even if they are maybe coming from different areas, maybe uh, not only educated as supply chain managers, just to try out, just to experiment a bit in a company uh, whenever it's possible. Um, look at the very different experience that a person um, collected throughout their life uh, and um, yeah, then enable the person, give them the opportunity, which also means that too strict hierarchies and too strict uh, standardization uh, um, might sometimes also kill ideas. So this innovativeness that comes from this opportunity that should also be nurtured. So last thought, what advice would you give to supply chain leaders today that are in the eye of the storm with regards to supply chain risk and resilience and opportunities? Yeah, um, I think a lot of decisions um, should already have been made. Um, so if not, react fast. Um, so if the storm is um, still ongoing, really uh, ensure that, uh, that you find a quick solution. Um, that is a very short-term um, idea and there's, um, you, you can't uh, create the plans that you should have needed before uh, right now. But try to do this for the future. Um, learn from this current event, uh, look at uh, potential uh, future events that might happen uh, and uh, look at best practices also uh, from other companies. Um, read the newspapers right now, read everything not only about supply chain management, um, try to find out a lot about the virus, uh, um, how it might spread because that gives you an indication uh, also how business will develop in the next couple of months. Um, uh, and in general, in the long term, um, widen your horizon wherever it's possible. Uh, look at uh, business opportunities, uh, but also look at uh, the broader um, perspectives that we're in, not just the company, not just the supply chain, maybe at the entire planet, um, medical crisis on the uh, planetary level, um, climate issues on the level. Well, on that note, thank you very much, Andreas, for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate you giving us your very comprehensive thoughts on this. Um, and we hope to see you again on FinTV. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Maria. Thanks. Everyone else, thank you very much. And we'll see you on the next episode of FinTV. Thank you.